listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for being here. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about Governor Rick Snyder, who has said he plans to block Syrian refugees coming into Michigan in the wake of the Paris bombings. Does he have the right to do that? And should he do that? We're going to want you to call in and talk to us at 313-577-1019 about why Governor Snyder should be welcoming the Syrian refugees or trying to keep them out for fear of terrorism. We're also going to talk a little later about transparency here in Michigan. A recent study says that we rank dead last in political transparency and ethics. We'll try to figure out why we got the low marks and what we should do to raise them. But first, there was perhaps no single element in the bankruptcy that helped propel things forward more smoothly than the so-called grand bargain. The deal brought financial contributions to the city from the DIA, large foundations, and, of course, the state of Michigan. But the grand bargain didn't come without a cost beyond dollars and cents. It upset a lot of people who felt the city's art collection should have been the subject to sale before pensions were on the line. Beyond that, Republican leaders in Lansing spent a great deal of political capital wrangling the votes that they needed to get the money for Detroit approved through the legislature. One of those leaders was Randy Richardville, Richardville, who was then the Senate Majority Leader and a Republican from Monroe. He is now a political consultant and expert on all things about the Michigan legislature. Randy Richardville, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. I don't know about that expert on everything, (laughs) but uh, I'll give you an opinion for free Uh, anytime. Well, I I, I don't have a problem saying that... uh, of all the legislators I've written about or covered or dealt with uh, over the years, I feel like you and I had a had a particularly good relationship. Even though you're a Republican, uh, I lean heavily to the left, and we don't agree on an awful lot. But uh, I always felt like your mind was open. Uh, your interests were tilted toward the best things for people in Michigan, and that includes people, of course, in the city of Detroit. Uh, and we could sit down and talk about things and disagree if we had to, uh, but that it didn't. It never bled over into into rancor or accusation or insult. No, I, I appreciate that. You know, I had the same kind of relationship with a number of Democrats, uh, some independents. Uh, you know, sometimes the Tea Party was hard to get along with, but <laughs> you know, everybody that lives in Michigan has got some kind of an opinion. They, they, they certainly... Um, need to be listened to, and especially leadership. And so I've, I've learned a lot from the other side. What I tried to do was, as best I could, um, not sacrifice my principles or my values, but try and understand where you're coming from yeah. and see if there's a way to make things work together. I think that that's what people want, and that's why a lot of times when I've been asked, do you want to be in Congress? Do you want to run for the United States Senate? Do you want to be in Washington? I I just don't see the same kind of culture there it as what we have here It doesn't work the same way there at all. Uh, I mean, you really do have to, you're expected by the leadership to dig in and push back against the other side. Yeah, and we, we're we not that way here. You know, it's, a lot of people have talked about the uh, relationship that Senator Whitmer and I had. You know, she was a Democrat leader in the Senate and certainly uh, outspoken. And, uh, you know, her opinion was uh, um, shared by a lot of people more, more far to the left than me. But once she got done with that and I got done saying what I had to say, we tried to find places in the middle. And, you know, one of the things I think we agreed on the most was that 
worldwide, when you look at the state of Michigan, I'd say 90% of the world's never heard of Michigan. Yeah. But 90% of the world have heard of the city of Detroit. Sure. And so therefore, as Detroit goes, there goes Michigan. Uh, and when we talk about trying to bring economic development here in Michigan, uh, you have to talk about the city of Detroit. And the, the, the struggles that Detroit have, uh, has, has gone through, they have gone through, um, over the last 10, 20, 30 years uh, have been well documented. But I think we have people here that uh, are unlike any place else in the world. You know, you go back to the innovators, way back to Henry Fords and people like that, the Industrial Revolution here. Um, it's a 300-year-old city, uh, and we've got people of all sorts of uh, ethnicities here, um, yeah. and they, they seem to work together pretty well. Um, so it, you've got you've to make sure Detroit is breathing hard and strong if you want Michigan to do well. Yeah. Well, and that is a perfect segue into talking about the grand bargain. Talk about the political cost uh, of <laughs> trying to get that through. When, when Governor Snyder comes to you and says, Look, we need to raise. I think it was two hundred and eighty million dollars in the end uh, to, to contribute to to the bankruptcy here in Detroit. Did you look at him like he was crazy? No, no. You know, Rick. Uh, I, I think that Rick is one of the best uh, problem solvers uh, I've known. Um, not in politics, but just in general. Uh, he's a very smart man. Picks up on things like nobody else. Now, as far as navigating through the, uh, the legislature, you know that wasn't his forte. That yeah. wasn't his background. And so he and I had to work together to get things done. And understood that it was a, a, a different, uh, you know, a different set of waters he had to na- navigate than what he was used to. But he's a great problem solver, great uh, intellect, and uh, I loved working with him. What about but, your caucus uh, in the Senate? What was their reaction when you first said? Look, we got to do this. We got to get the votes together to send this money to the bankruptcy. Well, if it was the first thing that we had brought up regarding the city of Detroit, or more moderate, or even in, in some cases left-leaning um, uh, votes that we needed, uh, then maybe it would have been okay. But it wasn't the first time that we had had gone to them. And the first thing we talked about was, you know, the DIA sure. uh, and uh, the art collection there. For me, it seemed ridiculous that the first thing we would do is dismantle maybe the city's uh, biggest gem when it comes to culture and say, hey, let's let's just totally dismantle this city and then try to rebuild it from nothing. Not to mention that the estimates on, on that art were were ridiculously high, and you'd have to auction them off and pay a lot of money, and that a lot of the artwork didn't even belong to the city of Detroit. Uh, sure. It was lent from other people. Right. So, you know, the, that was one of my first um, plans, or my first goals, was to make sure that we protected that, because it wasn't only the city of Detroit that, um, you know, that benefited from the DIA, but it was the entire state of Michigan, especially the Tri-County area, that had been putting taxes in for years and years uh, to maintain that. So the DIA and protecting that artwork and that Gem uh, was number one on on my list in in terms of order, not priority necessarily, yeah. but in order. You have to protect that first. And then the second thing is we had to go back and try and find two hundred eighty million dollars because when Judge Rosen came to me and said, in order for this to happen, in order for these foundations, in order for these private mo- monies to come forward, there has to be two hundred eighty million dollars from the legislature yeah. to come toward this. Well. That's a lot of money. It is a lot of money. I think, I think a lot of times we think about, you know, when we're talking about state budgets, we're usually talking about huge, huge sums of money. And I think people get used to that idea and think, well, you know, $100 million here, $100 million there, what's the difference? But, but when you sit down and look at what uh, is in the discretionary power of the legislature to decide how to spend or not, 
it's not that big of a it's not that big of a pot. Um, no, out, out of roughly, I'm going to be real round here. Uh, out of roughly fifty five billion dollars, um, about ten billion is discretionary. The rest of it is earmarked for either state. You know, sometimes it's in the Constitution. Yeah. Sometimes it's in statute. Sometimes it's federal dollars. And more of the dollars that we spend on our budget come from the federal government than are raised in Michigan. So we don't have any choice. Right. So we only have. $10 billion to begin with, and that's to cover the Department of Corrections, the highway system, education. I mean, you go right on down the list, uh, there's some 20-plus departments that uh, have to be funded from that. So to take $280 million out of that pile is a huge amount of money. I mean, it's a, a quarter of what these uh, the, the recent road package was. Sure, you know, and, yeah. but But for me, you know, and, and this is where Rick Snyder and I a lot of times um, work together real well because I have a financial background. I used to work for Fortune 500 companies in a financial analysis, uh, you know, you know um, strategic kind of way. And the Attorney General Bill Schuette had just prior to this, uh, a little ways before this, said that it's possible, it was his belief that the state government, Lansing, was responsible for these pension plans, not just in Detroit, but all around but the state, yeah. which were billions of dollars. And so in order to come up with an agreement, we had to invest $280 million, which is really a sliver compared to the amount that we could be on the hook for. Sure. Uh, that was a, a mitigation of risk, as far as I was concerned, and a relatively cheap investment to get back, uh, you know, to reduce the potential liability for billions and billions of dollars. I think $3 billion just in Detroit. Yeah. So uh, for me, it was a smart, it was a conservative investment into mitigating uh, what could be a big, a big liability. It was a smart decision financially for the taxpayers of Michigan. Sure. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Randy Richardville, former Michigan Senate Majority Leader. Uh, he was a Republican from Monroe. Uh, we're talking about the grand bargain, the grand bargain that held Detroit's bankruptcy settlement together. Uh, almost $800 million coming in from outside uh, the bankruptcy to help save the art at the DIA, to help soften the blow that pensioners in the city had to take uh, and get us out of bankruptcy and toward uh, a future. Uh, Randy, talk about the, the reaction from outstate legislators to the idea of helping Detroit in this way, and and whether you think doing that has sort of created a bit of Detroit fatigue in Lansing. Uh, we hear about that sometimes. Yeah, and it's it's not a personal thing. It's not a cultural thing, but it's more, um, you, you know, if you live uh, hundreds of miles away from the city of Detroit and you know that you know, the, the dollar per student that you get for education is uh, a fraction of what students get in the city of Detroit. You know that a, a vast amount of the revenue sharing, and that's the money that the state collects that it then gives back to the cities, villages, and townships around the state. Detroit gets much more uh, percentage-wise than anybody else. Uh, and then we had the, the you know the far right especially are saying we need to make government smaller and here you are want to increase the amount of money that we're giving to Detroit. Um, so some people from the outside were saying, wait a minute, you know this doesn't seem fair to me, and I can't vote for that and go back to my people and explain. Yeah, I just voted to spend another two hundred eighty million dollars uh, to the city of Detroit, and the fact that they're bankrupt, you know, sometimes would come out. Hey, look, if they've bankrupted that city. 
they've bankrupted their budget. Why would we give them more money if we can't see that there's going to be a difference? And so the, the real key in getting my caucus, the Republicans, to agree, at least uh, enough of them to get the vote passed, uh, was to say that we want to put some oversight uh, over the budget process for years to come and put a committee together, a commission together that would review on an annual basis where the city is spending its money, how it's spending its money, if there are signs of you know going into a bad situation again before we would even um, consider putting more money back into what, what was considered to be the same people making the same decisions. Uh-huh. So th- th- that's, that's, I guess, culturally what we had to deal with because... Um, you, you know, it's it, everybody's putting hard, hard-earned taxpayer dollars into yeah. some place, and where and, are they going to go? One of the things I think that we sometimes, in the, and I, I can be guilty of this here in the city of Detroit, is not understanding that that uh, or not being sympathetic to the needs or the the interests of people who don't who don't live here. I mean, we we sit here and think this is the largest city in the state. It's had a hard time. It's been the victim of disinvestment for decades uh, at the state level, at the federal level. Of course, you guys ought to help us out through this bankruptcy. And and as a Detroiter, there's no other way to think about it. But if you leave the city limits and go up to Ishpeming or uh, down to Monroe or west of Benton Harbor, it looks it just looks different. And it's a harder sell. It, it is. There's no question. You know, it, it, being raised in Monroe, um, you know, I mean, as a kid, you know, you come up to Tiger Stadium, you go to the Thanksgiving Day Parade, all, all those things. I mean, I consider myself a Detroiter, and I think a lot of people in the greater Detroit area um, have that same kind of uh, feeling. Yeah. You, know, you can go out to the suburbs and saying, you know, Detroit versus everybody, and you see these T-shirts, and, <laughs> you know, people wearing the D over overseas someplace, and it shows up in the free press. Sure. Um, I, I think a lot of people love and are proud to be from Detroit. We're known as a tough town. We're known to not roll over, uh, gritty a manufacturing uh, town we fight through the winters we you know live through the lions you know we've all got uh, our crosses to bear but we're all proud to be detroiters but you know it was more of a financial thing for some people that live far away from detroit that don't see those benefits maybe like some of us that live up close or even those that are up close said guy you know you got to tell me why we keep writing a check to the same people if the same problems continue to exist yeah. and so we had to prove that those same kind of problems weren't going to uh, exist exist and that we would have oversight and we need this city to come back up. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of the job that Detroit has been doing over the last year. Image-wise, um, I think Mike Duggan and his team are doing an incredible job. They're working with Rick Snyder in, I, I think, a real positive way. Um, so I'm, I'm proud to be a Detroit. I wear my Shinola watch everywhere I go and <laughs> tell people this is the story of Detroit. You know, this is where they want it to be because it's the best place to be. Right. Uh, Randy Richardville, former Senate Majority Leader, is my guest. Uh, we are talking about the grand bargain that sealed Detroit's bankruptcy, saved the art of the DIA, softened the blow to pensioners, uh, and got us out of federal court and toward uh, hopefully a more promising future. Um Randy, what are the things that you think we have learned about um, uh, about about ourselves and about this state from the bankruptcy proceedings from the grand bargain? What have we learned also about the emergency manager process, uh, which which I think if if you whether you support it or not, uh, Detroit is a fine example of how it can work 
to to the to the best outcomes. Uh, of course, we got lots of other examples where it's not working at all, and some examples where it's been disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that look to you guys in the legislature? Well, the, the, that that process was first signed into law by uh, Jennifer Granholm, yeah. um, and a lot of people didn't know that um, and and think that Rick Snyder is the one that came up with the emergency manager idea. That's not so much the case. Now, we did as a legislature and he as a governor uh, alter it to give him a, give more power to the emergency manager because we felt that was necessary. You don't want to send, you know, a fireman into a fire without a hose. So we wanted to give him enough power to put the fire out. And, uh, you know, in some cases it's been more successful than others. I think Kevin Orr demonstrated an incredible amount of uh, intelligence, uh, knowledge of the, the, the process, very good with people skills as well. Um, and, and one of the things he did that I think, you know, I, I didn't want to gloss over, but he, he helped us to understand the, the plight of the average pensioner yeah. who was not going to get a pension and who maybe would be tied up in, in court for a couple of years while he or she didn't receive a pension. And to say to get X percent instead of nothing is a smart thing. And uh, I think the face of those pensioners um, in some cases helped to get the votes both on the Democrat and Republican side. Uh, as well. Um, the emergency financial managers um, around the state in general have been pretty successful. I know that sometimes it's difficult when you have an elected group of people that have to set aside their powers while someone comes in and tries to fix it. But, you know, it's almost like a, a, a general practitioner, you know, a doctor that needs uh, needs an expert to come in, do some work, and then you go back to business as normal. So I'm hoping that that's the case here. I think the city council that we have uh, on board today, the mayor and his team, are truly uh, working hard to get things done. Uh, I've met all of them and think they're people of integrity and that are doing the best they can with a a tough situation. So uh, I'm proud to have been a big supporter of this package and uh, will continue to be into the future. You've got the M1 rail, you know, you've got a lot of other investments, maybe a bigger uh, transit system. You got people like Dan Gilbert and the Illiches that are continuing to reinvest into Detroit. Uh, And the people of Detroit, you know, the proud group of people. So I'm, I'm happy to have been a small part of the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, now that you're gone from the legislature, uh, uh, quickly before we have to wrap the segment, um, what do you think of the way that uh, the, the governor has expressed an enormous amount of frustration trying to get practical solutions through this legislature? The roads package, I think, is is exhibit A. Uh, the, the, the tone in his voice just describing that deal, you could tell. He was not happy with it, even though he had to. He felt like he had to to sign it. He wasn't going to get anything better. How different is this group of legislators than the group that you had just uh, a few years ago uh, in the Senate and in the House? Well, term limits brings across a very fast evolution, and uh, you know I don't know the House members that well um, because a lot of them are new. You know, every election on average, one third of the House of Representatives is replaced. Yeah. And sometimes it's as much as forty, fifty, or sixty percent. Is replaced, and, and that's and because I don't of know the term people. limits that uh, yeah. that I know you are no longer a fan of. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. And it's not because I want to go back either. It's not because I can't find a job and all that other stuff that people say. It just doesn't work. I've been there and I've dealt with it, and yeah. I think it's at the worst spot now because it's not just that the legislators have not much experience. It's that also the people you know once you get there. 
there's nobody else with experience either, including the staff that's yeah. pretty much all turned over since I've been there. I've worked in my 14-year career with 457 legislators. Now, what kind of relationship can you build with 457 <laughs> people that you yeah. see a couple times a week? Yeah. You know, and it's about relationships. That's how you get things done. So, yeah, I, I think Governor Snyder is, is frustrated from time to time. He is with us, too. For, he was with us from time to time. But that's because he's used to being a chief operating officer where, you know, you go in, you solve the problem or you, you find the problem and just you get a team behind you to get it done. Here it was negotiation. It's really different. It, it's a whole government. different thing. And yeah. that's why even at the federal level, you know, you see some of the people from the outside. It may not be so easy if and when they get on the inside. Um, but, yeah, I, I sense the frustration still that that, that he has. But, you know, he, he, he talks about positive um uh, relentless positive relentless action. Positive action. <laughs> I've heard that a million times. <laughs> yeah. He really is relentless. You can hit him, you can knock him backwards, yeah. but he's just going to keep going. And when he sees a problem, wants to get it solved, sooner or later he'll get it done. All right. Randy Richardville, former Senate Majority Leader and one of the people who helped pull the grand bargain together in the legislature. Thanks very much for being here. It's always a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you so much. This conversation was part of Detroit Bankruptcy One Year Later. It's presented by WDET in partnership with the Detroit Journalism Cooperative. Funding for this project was made possible by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Renaissance Journalism's Michigan Reporting Initiative, and the Ford Foundation. Coming up, does Rick Snyder have the right to block Syrian refugees coming into Michigan? We're going to talk to a constitutional law expert and take your calls next.